Okay, so I am here with Jonathan Waisoki. Mm -hmm. Oh, boom! <laughs> oh, man, some days I just butcher names, and today I knocked it out the park twice. Outstanding. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I'm here with Jonathan to talk about um, Drama Rama, which was one of the great films that played at this year's BFI Flair Festival. And I, yeah, I forget what happened, because I remember going through the films. There's this, it's like, uh, the, the, I always have a, a weird thing about this, because I don't like knowing too much about a film before I watch it, because I don't want to be biased in any way. I like to be surprised. And not, you know, be pre, that prejudgment of, oh, okay, so it's gonna be a kids' film. Oh, let's watch it. You'd be like, oh, it's not a kids' film. Okay. Oh, this is fun. You know, even sometimes you do that. I remember watching the friggin' trailer to, oh, I think it was Rush Hour Two, and thinking, oh my god, this is so funny. This is going to be hilarious. And then watching it and realizing, oh, they put the jokes in the trailer. <laughs> this, oh, there was only it four was jokes. Bait okay. and switch, right? <laughs> oh, it was so bad. But then I discovered, which blew my mind, right? That directors don't, for the most part, make their own trailers, which I didn't know up until a certain point. I was oblivious to that fact, right? Because you just assume you like the things that you would assume as a little kid watching films that a director, you know I mean they're doing the trailer, they're mm -hmm. they're agreeing on the marketing and the branding, all of that stuff. It's because it's their film, it's their vision. So why wouldn't they? And then you find out, no, it doesn't work <laughs> like that. It's like what is happening <laughs> this is the upside down <laughs> yeah if you're i think if you're really powerful you get that control oh yeah jonathan uh, nolan is getting yes. he he's getting that <laughs> yeah yes yeah but generally no you it's out of your hands and yeah they they do whatever they want with it once they have it so yeah <laughs> which i think was one of the big issues for david Eyre with the Suicide mm. Squad, because mm. the way the trailer came out, you know, I mean, especially you, you're using Seven Nation Army white stripes, you have this big trailer, boom, 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 da -da -da -da. and everyone's just like, oh my God, this looks great. And then the just the tone of the film is completely different to the film itself. And then you find out all the other stuff that was going on, but it's just like, it, it baffles me that studios still haven't, you know, just clocked on them and like, yeah, we let's let's just let the directors make the trailers. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I mean, even even the you know the editor obviously of the film is not the editor of the trailer. Yes, yeah. it's, it's a it's it's definitely its own art form. Like, I do have appreciation for for people who do it really well. Yes, um, because you know, they can kind of create associations in making the trailer that you would never think of because you know the film so well yeah. linearly yeah, yeah, yeah. that they're able to take this piece of dialogue and this piece of dialogue and put it together 
in a way that, you know, works for the trailer, but doesn't actually happen that way in the film. Um, but yeah, I do feel like sometimes there's a tone issue where it's mm. not, it's like the, the trailer is this tone and the film is not that tone. <laughs> or yeah, or, you know, they, or they give too much away. I hate oh that my too. God. Oh, the amount of times a big reveal is yeah. spoiled from a yeah. trailer. Like I didn't, because I didn't watch the trailer first. I went mm. and watched Us. Uh-huh. Yeah, ah, see, that is the feel, isn't it? The yeah, um, yep, Jason yep. Peel. Yes. Not Jason Peel, it's something Peel. Um Brian. Oh my gosh, why are you? No, not Brian. <laughs> Definitely not Brian. Oh no. Peel. Jordan! Jordan, Jordan. thank you. I was like Keen Peel. <laughs> wow. But, but yeah, I didn't watch the trailer. So I went in and I watched the film. I was blown away by the film. I loved the right. film, but I then, because, you know, putting, when you're putting it on the website and the, the real, so I have to get the trailer, the website, all those links and stuff like that. So I got the link for the trailer and I was just like, for some reason I was like, oh, let's just see the trailer. And I just thought, there's a bit in the trailer, I guess it's, what, it's two years old now? Yeah. I think most people ago, yeah. probably would have seen. So I, I think you could talk about it without, you know, spoilers, right? right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But there's a, the whole mirror bit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think if you have her near the mirror or anything like that, you're giving, you're putting people on the path to what happens. You know what right. I mean? It's like yeah. once you see that visual, you can make an assumption if you then see fear on the face or anything, anything. So the fact that they did that in the trailer, I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? You've walked people basically up to the door, mm -hmm. right? If I'd seen that, I would have gone, hold on, is it? You know what I mean? But not seeing the trailer, I when that happened, I was just like, <gasps> no. Oh right. my god! Right. So yeah. yeah, it was just like you know what I mean. But I, I just really we, I don't even know what happened here. We're talking about training. <laughs> I mean, we're just talking about your dad Phil. I just don't even know what happened. This is crazy. <laughs> but oh, that was it. Yes, because I'm like I yeah I don't watch or read. You know what I mean? I, I take a quick glance over stuff and think um. Yeah, okay, I'll look at that. And so with yours, I remember it was just, I think what grabbed me was, you know what I mean? That like everyone just standing there looking and it had a whodunit kind of feel to it. And I, I man, I loved, you know, uh, Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot as a kid growing up. Well, it's weird because it's just like, I'd go to the library and the only book really that were large print and I could actually read were Miss Marple and Hercule Poirot. So I read all of those books. Which was probably annoying because you were going, ah, thank you, mon ami. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh -huh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that grabbed me about your film. And so I was like, oh, let me give this a look. <laughs> and so I did. But yeah, basically, I watched your film. Right? So it took me all this time just to say, yeah, I watched it. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, thank you. And thank you for, uh, for going in without any preconceived uh, <laughs> ideas. <laughs> yeah, I, so, you know, and as I, like getting all the information on, I came across, it was a Kickstarter. You, you, you use Kickstarter to help fund it, which is um, yeah, always an interesting thing to see how people get their funding and everything. Like why Kickstarter? What, yeah, what made so, you go down that route? Well, I actually had, I had quite a few friends who had made um, their first features and a lot of them were actually, uh, you know, something with LGBTQ content. And, uh, you know, they would shop it around to production companies and they get no, no, no. And then finally they just turned to Kickstarter to, to get the whole ball rolling. And I watched this happen with one friend and then another friend and another friend, and another friend. And finally I was like, okay, I just have to do this. It's gonna be a lot of work. <laughs> uh, it's gonna be a lot of work. It's gonna be kind of scary uh, because you know, it's an all or nothing yes. kind of campaign. Either you, <laughs> either you raise it and you get it or you know, you don't you don't raise the amount you say you're going to, and you get no nothing. You get zero dollars. Um, and uh, and yeah, so I just followed in their footsteps, and it it ended up getting the film greenlit. I was able to get you know the rest of the investors on board because the Kickstarter campaign was successful, and then uh, you know a couple months after that we were shooting the movie. So it was the the other nice thing about Kickstarter is that it it kind of you kind of get your first chunk of an audience that's interested in your movie bef right up before it even is made you know and they kind mm. of because they are they feel very invested in the project they you know are sort of your core audience and you start to build people from that point um and in this in this day and age when there's so much content and there's so many things that you can watch in so many places it's kind of a nice way to uh, you know, start sort of building your audience so that you actually have people that know about your film and are tracking it and are, you know, sort of following it. Yeah. So with that, right, and the whole it's either a go or not, did, does it force you to either start at a low cost and then up it once you've met that or... Do you just go, no, I'm just going to say this amount and let's see what happens. Yeah, so you you can always increase what you're trying to raise, but you can't decrease it mm. <laughs> once once it started. They don't allow you to decrease it. So, um, so, you know, I had to do, I had to do some math based off of what I thought I could achieve. Um, and then, you know, not, not go over that in case I, I, you know, I fell short. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of how I set the bar that I set. Um, and then, you know, once that campaign was done, you have hundreds of people who are now waiting for you to make this, <laughs> this movie. <laughs> and so it, it, it lights a fire under everything in a good way. You know, it's like, it's not theoretical anymore. It's all of a sudden it's like, oh no, you have to figure out how to make this movie. Um, and, and it was easier to bring the rest of the, the funding on board because 
the, the successful Kickstarter was kind of like a proof of concept. People were like, oh, okay, you know, this thing has legs, it's, it's running, you know, it's, it's, it's going, it's happening and people are excited about it. I'm willing to invest in this project. Yeah, but you can already, you can already show a, an interest. You know, you can be like, well, we know this amount of people want to see it, right? Mm -hmm. And this amount of people will pay this amount for the DVD or the Blu-ray or the mm -hmm. whatever, whatever, whatever. So, yeah. But does it force you then to kind of make content specific for them to show the progress? Like, does it kind of put you in a bit of a bind to be like oh god gotta do the kickstarter video and i said <laughs> okay it's that time again guys get together hey kickstarter crew how are you right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i actually i i enjoy doing the updates because i usually i mean i try not to have too many of them because i feel like too many is annoying mm. um but i i whenever there's news you know something exciting uh i do an update and and i feel like people are usually really appreciative of it because they they don't want they don't want you know after they they've donated they don't want <laughs> me to fall into a black hole and they're like <laughs> what why did i donate to that thing it seems to have disappeared off the planet um so yeah i don't mind i don't mind the updates i i mean i don't i don't do videos so i don't <laughs> I don't, I, don't, ah. I don't. I don't put that much effort into them. <laughs> I phone in. A, I phone it in a little bit. Um, I'll, I'll. I'll put some pictures though. I'll put some pictures. Uh, but yeah, no. I. I try to keep them abreast. You know, without without spamming them every, you know, couple of weeks with yeah every little tiny thing that could be happening with the film. So, uh, so um. Where did this idea come from, right? Because you know, it, it felt a little. I don't. It's a. It's a. I kind of said. You know. I. I feel. I kind of aligned it to John Hughes. Those, those classic sixteen candles and and whatnot. You know. What I mean, the Breakfast Club and those sort of films. It kind of had that kind of aesthetic. That kind of feel. Well, yeah, Though, thank you. But not being a clone of, you know what I mean? But so how did it come together? Like, how did you kind of think, oh, this is what I want this to be? Yeah, uh, uh, that's a very high compliment. So thank you for that, <laughs> John, John Hughes uh, shout out. Um, so I, so this is, this is a semi-autobiographical film. It started with me rereading my high school diary which was horrifying. <laughs> I was like cringing all the way through it. Um, but there were there were elements there about growing up, uh, you know, in a very sort of religious, conservative, suburban uh, environment, uh, where I, you know, I was closeted, and you know, my friends were closeted, and. And yet we had this outlet that was theater, which was, you know, this, we, we were all very, very theatrical and into drama and sort of expressed ourselves 
and got all of our, you know, sort of repression <laughs> and whatnot out <laughs> through the, the, you know, the improvisation and the silliness and the fun of drama. And I thought there was something interesting there that could make a good coming of age film that I hadn't really seen before, um, which is, you know, instead of, instead of the kids rushing towards adulthood and being super interested in, you know, losing their virginity and getting drunk and, and, you know, trying to be as adult as possible to have this group of kids who were really kind of afraid of, afraid of leaving the nest in many mm. ways. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so I, I sat down and I kind of put fact and fi fiction into a blender. And I definitely was very interested in containing it to one location and one night, because I feel like there are some really great coming of age films that do that. Obviously you mentioned Breakfast Club is a great one where, you know, it's basically five, five teenagers in a library <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, what drama comes from that. And um, American Graffiti is another one where it's, you know, one night, it's the mm. last night before everybody goes off before, you know, everybody is, is, is ending their summer and beginning the fall. Um, and so I felt like there were sort of interesting templates for coming of age films that had that those kind of, you know, restrictions in terms of time and place. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I just started, started writing based off of all those ideas. And uh, there's, I thought one thing that was very interesting and I liked about this film was it wasn't, I, now for me, right? This is what it kind of, I got from it, but it wasn't so much about the coming out, right? Because we've seen a lot of films that are, you know, the, the like, and then there's the big announcement and be like, hey, guys, uh, I'm, and he'd be like, no, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, hey, I'd be like, ah, you know, he's like, that's a big, big, but this wasn't so much that, right? It was more about these links that bind us all, and that doesn't really matter, mm -hmm. right? Even like, there's these assumptions that we make, you are like, oh, if people know this, uh, they might not talk to me, or, but it's just like, yeah, you know what? Everyone's scared. Everyone's scared about changing and you read like, you know, growing up. But what really matters is just this group, right? That that was the thing. And I was like, that's cool, right? Because I think all of these emotions, yeah, like whether you're straight or gay or you know, whatever, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Because we all have these cons different concerns, right? But it's just what you want to know is, ah, am I, am my buddies still going to be my buddies? You know, and that seemed to be like the, the real thrust of the thing. And I, that, yeah, I, I liked it. It didn't, it just didn't go that well-trodden route. It was, a, it, it became this different thing, you know? Yeah, thank you. No, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I feel like, you know, part of that decision was just to be true to my own past that, you know, I I definitely did not come out, come out in the early 90s because it was not, <laughs> not safe and nobody else was doing it uh, in high school. And 
And so I felt like that sort of piece of history was important to show that it wasn't maybe as easy back then as it is now. Um, and then I also, I was, I was, I also really wanted there to be a film where, you know, the, the character doesn't come out and it's okay because he's yes. just not ready, you know, mm. he's, he's not ready. His environment is not, you know, the, the best environment and you know, he's going to be okay. And you know, he's going to eventually come out, but it's just not going to happen now. And yeah. And I feel like, I feel like I kind of wanted there to be a film where, where, you know, where, where, where that, that was someone's journey, because I think, you know, it, it is still hard for some people to come out. And I felt like it would be nice to have a template where they could watch someone struggle and then, and then, you know, be okay with, with not doing that. And then, you know, thirdly, to your point, I do feel like there is something just about being on the cusp of change that is a universal experience, whether again, you're gay or straight or, or whatnot. Um, and, you know, there's, there's an argument to be made that, that all of the characters are in the closet in some way, shape or form in this movie in terms of <laughs> what they're hiding from each other, what they're, you know, in denial about or what they're, what they are afraid of expressing. Um, and, and I thought that was kind of a funny equalizer in some ways is to have everybody be, you know, have a secret about themselves and about whether or not they were going to, re you know, reveal that secret. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the thing, right? There's air, there was something with everyone, really, you know, that they weren't telling. I think one of the craziest things had to be, um, oh my gosh, it's uh, Oscars, Oscars situation, right? Because it's just like, but you're doing the thing that you wanted to do. Like, however you want to dress it up, right? You're doing that thing. So who cares? Right. Like, <laughs> who really cares? Like, I was, I, I don't know. I Like, in the UK, we don't have, like, the major, minor, mm -hmm. that, you know, you go do your degree or, you know, that's just it. Right. So... I, maybe it's a little bit different, but does it really matter what the major is over the minor? It doesn't because I mean you can even change it when you <laughs> if you it, once you're in uni you can change your mind and 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 go into a different major and so yeah his sort of like the world is ending <laughs> how can I go on crisis uh, is you know it's very much rooted in. Uh, the emotions of what it's like when you're that age, when you feel like the world is ending because one thing doesn't go your way, you know? Mm. And it, it was good as well, right? Because where, I don't know, you could look at the film and think Gene is kind of the victim, right? It, it's about Gene and like poor Gene and all of this stuff. There's a bit at the end where Gene's a bit of an arsehole, yes. right? Because, <laughs> He didn't have to say that shit. He just threw his friend under the bus. I'm speaking to your mom. And but it was like, good damn, Gene. 
Yo, what are you doing, man? <laughs> so it was like, you know, I mean? I, because I think one great thing, but sometimes, right, you had films and there's the good guy, the bad guy, and the hero, the heroine, right? But it's gray area. That's life. It's great. Like, we could all say shitty things, but it doesn't make us bad people. So, like, the fact that this stuff is going on and, they, they, you know, there's these arguments, but it's just like, yeah, this is what people, this is what friends do. Right, it, it was nice to have those moments because it kind of, you know, brought that home. Like it didn't make this that cookie cutter film. You know what I mean? It wasn't that, it was more real. And, and that was great. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, it was, it's funny because I, again, some of that is just coming from rereading that diary and seeing how often someone was mad at somebody else, somebody else. And I forgot, you know, I don't remember any of that stuff. Like, cause it was all water under the bridge eventually. But yeah. like in the moment it's like, oh, so-and-so is not speaking to so-and-so. And it's it's some petty something that, you know, <laughs> happened at the time. And again, it's, it's funny how you forget about that because, you know, you, you, you I think maybe sometimes we we look back on being a teenager and we might we might sort of see it in a more nostalgic factor than all of the emotions that we actually had, which you know, <laughs> someone says one thing and you're like, I'm not speaking to that person anymore. And then, you know, 48 hours later you're friends with them again. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I definitely felt like putting that in was was it felt more real to life in terms of what what it is when you have those really intense friendships at that age um that you know have have ups but also downs <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah 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 like how did you get the cast because it was a great cast and oh, then you thanks. see like oh they're all on like tv shows and all of this it'd be like yo how did you get them you know to, to be able to shoot this when they're already got these busy schedules like how did it all yeah, come I, I lucked out. I mean, I had these casting directors here in Los Angeles and they saw hundreds of young people for the, for the roles, for the six roles. And, um, you know, they were able to bring in like really, really good actors. And I was able to choose the best of the best. And they all, uh, they all, you know, there was there was one person who's who had a conflict and so we actually pushed the entire shoot a week in order to accommodate um her uh but the one thing i couldn't do because we didn't have the the money or the time is i couldn't chemistry cast them where you you know you bring oh. them in together so they you can see how they work together and so i had to i had to in my mind <laughs> imagine what they would be like together and it wasn't until the costume fitting that I they actually met each other oh um, that so they on that first day they could be like oh no not yeah oh. <laughs> oh. you'd be like what have I done yeah. oh my god <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly you're supposed to be best friends <laughs> Please pretend. They're my nemesis. I vowed yeah. never to work the scene with them again. <laughs> yeah, no. So I was biting my nails about that. Uh, and luckily, they got along like gangbusters to the extent where they are actually really close 
still now and they see each other all the time and they're they've kind of become like the friend group in the movie which blows my mind um, yeah I, I saw like a few of them got podcasts together or some crazy thing I think I saw in the the Instagram it was just like oh that's so nice like this, I don't know it's I always like it right when you see um a, 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 like a director and a, a crew and they're using the same people over and over again but you think ah, oh, they're buddies man that's nice yeah. oh like yeah this, when you see people all like palling it up on the screen <laughs> it's nice to know that oh that's not that it's not really fake their buddies in real like finding out that um jd and turk are really <laughs> great friends in real life you're like ah awesome <laughs> like, yeah so it's nice to kind of see that that like these these guys still like hang out and everything oh yeah no it it it's it's wonderful and I, yeah as a i am definitely a filmmaker it would be a dream come true if i can keep working with the same the same cast and crew because I do feel like there's just there's just something it's like a family you know when it works well together like that and um you know that that positive vibe is not always guaranteed when you're you're making a movie (laughs) when you're making a movie so I really lucked out on this project Mm. yeah no yeah it just worked right so what was the like think the decision to start the way you did because you like you start with the whole um like costume party and everything like that so like why do you think okay this is how we're gonna jump into this story sure yeah I definitely wanted to uh you know because these were drama kids I wanted to sort of introduce them as they would want to be introduced in their in their sort of (laughs) fantasy drama world where they're all playing these you know over-the-top characters and they're in costume and and then like as the film goes on you start to watch these layers being shed and you start to see the real people underneath all of these theatrics and so I really liked the idea of it's almost like they're all they're all wearing a mask in the beginning Mm. Uh, and then, you know, you, you start to sort of see behind the actual mask and see who these people really are and what they're afraid of and what they desire and, you know, their hopes and dreams and, and whatnot. Um, but that starting in that, starting in their sort of idealized play fantasy world was something that was just interesting to me in terms of just throwing you into <laughs> throwing you into their sort of Victorian murder mystery party uh which you know I think is probably somewhat disorienting for some people they're like what is going on with <laughs> especially if you did not grow up in a drama in a in a sort of drama environment like that um uh yeah I just thought it would be it would be fun to sort of uh, to sort of open the film like that and then sort of have like an onion have the layers be peeled away. It does kind of let you know, you know, who they are without having to go, okay, so we're going to meet five kids and they, they're big into drama club, right? You don't have to say that because you've opened it up like this. 
right? But did you let them choose those costumes? Did you be like, who do you want to go as? Or were you like, you're going as this? Be like, ah, oh, man, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be that. <laughs> that was, it was definitely scripted. So they, they, did, they did not have a choice. <laughs> Always a dictatorship. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how many days did the shoot take it was pretty fast it was 16 and a half days ah. yeah okay so so three weeks three weeks yeah, yeah. Uh, huh. and what what was like the hardest scene to shoot for you you know the hardest scene was actually it was actually the scene where jd is kind of grilling them all and gives them all the 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 word that describes them that, oh, that yeah, 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 living yeah. room and it was it's because you know it was six characters and it was a lot of dialogue i think it was seven seven pages seven or eight pages and we i had to shoot that entire thing in one day and uh you know covering covering eight six people in a <laughs> <laughs> and all of the eye lines and all the directions uh it was it was a lot like it was it was really and the choreography the blocking and everything uh it was it was a lot to do in one day so that was that was hard and then i would say the second hard thing was actually the pool scene um because uh even though we shot in the middle of summer and it was unbelievably hot during the day uh it got pretty cool at nighttime. <laughs> and those actors were not having a good time in that pool. <laughs> After hours and hours of just of being in this cold pool, it was not, it was not a pleasant experience. So um, I felt I felt badly every time I'd be like, I'm sorry, you have to get in the pool again. We need another angle on that. <laughs> what's happening here and you have to look like it's fun and it's summer <laughs> and it's luck. not like the happiest of scenes either no no yeah so it's just it gets... a bit like oh so i have to go back in and get shamed again jonathan <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah slowly swim across the pool and then get shamed Take number 40. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, no. Oh, gosh. It, it was so... Um, I, I really liked the way that... You know, because look, we've got um, gender issues. We've got religious issues. You know, I mean, there's, there's all this different stuff in here. But at no point is it like, this is bad. And this is how you need to be. You're, you're, you were just looking at it through all these different prisms, which was, yeah, you know, it was kind of realistic, right? That's how it would be. Because I think one thing that everyone forgets at times, right? If you've grown up, if you've grown up in this environment where you're told this one thing, and I remember going to Sunday school as a kid and you are told certain things in Sunday school. You know I mean, they're not mincing things, right? So you're getting told this one thing then to find out, oh, my friend might not 
hmm, that's gonna make you like wonder. And I think that that is very well conveyed, right? Without, as I said, look, making anyone into a villain or, you know, would be like, oh, I like that character, but now they're an asshole. Mm-hmm. You know, we just didn't see that. It was just this really well kind of thought out kind of, you know, thought process of, oh, how would I deal with this? How am I approaching this? What are my views now? Like, when you're writing that, right, how much did it change? Like how, you know, you, because I'm sure you write it the first time thinking, oh, have I got it? And then you look at it again and be like, ah, no, it's probably skewed too much to a certain way. Like, how did you kind of work all of this out without it being this, you know, vilification of a, a thought process? Yeah, uh, thanks for that, that, um, that, that observation. I, I definitely, I was, you know, it's interesting because even though I'm not religious anymore, um, I know what it's like to, you know, grow up very religious. And I know, I, I remembered what, what, you know, what I sort of responded to in terms of media and what was, what was challenging for me and whatnot. And, and my friend group was, had a spectrum similar to the one in the film where there were, you know, religious people who were much more liberal and religious people who were much more conservative. And so I, I remembered the contradictions of that and the nuances of it. And I, I just thought it was something I hadn't really seen in a lot of films that sort of tackle religion because usually, you know, the religious character is really kind of cartoony. And then there's, you know, the, it's as you, as you point out, it's very sort of black and white. Um, and so, so I, I definitely wanted there to be a spectrum of, of sort of opinions on, on, you know, different sort of religious outviews. But uh, the hardest part was actually, you know, with the more, more conservative characters like Claire and Rose was uh, making them believable as as the more sort of conservative end of the spectrum. Uh, and there's actually a scene in the movie that I had to cut out <laughs> because when we were test screening it, people were like, I don't, I don't believe that that would really happen. Um, and it was a scene between Claire and Rose where, uh, where, where, Claire talks about the teddy bear, the, the, the teddy bear code that's going to happen in college, which is where your college roommate will put a teddy bear outside the door to indicate that, that they're having sex inside the room. So you can't, you shouldn't come inside. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah. And so, and, and like Rose is horrified and she's like, I have to transfer to get a private room. And, you know, they both sort of commiserate about how horrifying this is going to be when they go to college and you know their roommates might be having sex and um these conversations really happened (laughs) in among my friend group but it was one of those things where truth is stranger than fiction 
Mm. And, and people watching the movie were like, oh, I think, I think it's just over the top. Like, I think it's the, the these two characters are, are too over the top in, in, in this scene. Uh, and so we took it out of the film, uh, you know, to sort of balance them out a little bit more. Uh, so, you know, I guess to answer your question in a very long-winded way is it was kind of trial and error to figure out, you know, like with the volumes, okay, how, how religious is this person going to be? And, and, you know, how liberal are they going to be and how conservative are they going to be so that we don't lose audience members in having this kind of diverse representation of faith. Mm. So, I, so I think that's an interesting thing, right? Because yeah, with test audiences, you know, because I know like look, it happens with films, you know, advanced copies of books. So there's always this thing, this call for feedback to make sure that, all right, does this translate? Do my ideas work, right? But the, the thing is, you're only going out to a, a key sphere of people. So how much of that do you go, that's interesting, but I don't think we need to change it or, okay, no, I, yeah, we'll, we'll make that change knowing that although these people have reacted in this way, it might not necessarily be the mass reaction. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And it's a, it's hard, it's a difficult sort of process. And I feel like, I feel like feedback uh, I feel like oftentimes for me, there's a separate, a, a separate camp for feedback where it's just a one-off and it doesn't, it's not something that you see or hear frequently. And then feedback where you're getting the same note repeatedly. And I feel like when I'm getting the same note repeatedly, I know that there's something there to work on. Mm. Um, Whereas the sort of one-offs, I don't usually, I don't usually pay too much attention to those comments unless it sparks something in me that that is exciting. You know, like sometimes yeah. people have, you know, it's just one person that makes a suggestion, and creatively, it's like, oh yeah, that's a that's such a great idea. Let's, you know, switch these two scenes around, or you know, let's try this instead. Um, but, but the majority of time, I just try to rely on aggregate and, and, you know, the, if, if you, if you keep getting the same note many times, um, there's probably, you know, something, something there to, to massage. Uh, I know I definitely also have friends <laughs> who are directors who are like my way or the highway. <laughs> and you know, they they may have some test screenings, but they pretty much ignore all the feedback that they get and they just wanted they just want the film to be their way. And mm. um, you know, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, you know, method of filmmaking, but I do feel like the editing process is one of the most interesting stages of making a movie and I feel like it's the third time you write the film so I feel like you you write it on the script and then you write it on set and then the third time you write it in the editing room and I I think that there's so much creativity that can happen there that I like having test screenings to find things that the editor and I maybe haven't thought about 
Mm. So I'm, I'm more open to it than maybe some other filmmakers are where they're like, this is my vision. Don't mess with my, my vision. <laughs> I don't care what you say about X, Y, Z. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, I guess there are some things that I would, that are swords that I was willing to fall on. Um, like the ending, you know, I think the ending maybe, you know, some people, some people really want Gene to come out at the end of the movie. And I was like, that's not the movie I'm making. So. No, I, I, I thought the ending, I, I, yeah, I thought the ending worked. I, I really liked the way it ended, right? Because same thing, most of them knew. <laughs> like most yes. of the series just didn't <laughs> didn't care. And it was just like when um Ali's just like, hey, I really like uh, JD's friend. And she and yeah, she's like, yeah, me too. And, and it was just like that, you know, it, it didn't have to be said and be like, yeah, and I think I'm going to ask him out. And um, oh, by the way, Ellie, I'm gay. And you're like, oh, really? Gene, I didn't know. Oh, guys, guys, Gene's got something to tell us. Gene? Like, we didn't, he didn't even think like that. <laughs> I, I will, I totally want to play your entire exchange to anyone that ever questions about the end of this movie. I'll be like, did you want this version instead? <laughs> 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 right and there's yeah text or subtext which uh which route do you want to go down so yeah i, I appreciate that you liked the subtext version <laughs> yeah but but there's so many other films that have that ending right so it's not like it's not there right, right. there's that there's that film if people want that film that's been made that's there but not everyone's experience is the same you know so it, it's I think it's always good to see like these different things as I remember how clueless I was back in the day oh my god I mean do you know have you ever heard the um expression oh gosh what is it I think it's like a, a rainbow party or a Mars bar party. Oh yes, yes, with this the lollipop thing. Yeah, well, yes. and, or, and yeah. yeah, so like my favorite is like, um, yeah, I think they were doing stuff long before me. And so why don't someone, well, you think people, then you learn that just because people were saying shit didn't mean they were doing any of it, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I remember one time, he was just like, oh yeah, I think we're gonna go to Fingers and we're gonna have a Mars bar party. And I was like, oh my God, I like Mars bars. How come I don't go to a party? Like, I'd eat Mars bars. This is so unfair. <laughs> I thought that was a Mars bar party. <laughs> <laughs> Kids having fun eating Mars bars. <laughs> 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 so good. <laughs> the innocence. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's nice to see films that, you know, show that different crop of kids. That aren't yes. necessarily just doing all the 
all the crazy stuff and all, all yes. of that, you know? I call them the late bloomers. And <laughs> I have found that there's quite a few of them who uh, <laughs> who were like me and just not uh, not doing what the cool kids were doing. <laughs> I, yeah, this, I, I think also, it, I remember, because I used to go to Sunday school just because there was nothing happening on a Sunday back in the day. You know, shops weren't open. Mm -hmm. It was just done. It was like the Waltons in the morning. And, and that was it, right? There was nothing else happening. So you, you know, watch the Waltons, go to Sunday school. <laughs> and and I, there was a period of time, and I always thought, right, that there's, you know, what you're told there, like sex is important and it should be meaningful. So you're just like, all right, well, you know, I like, I didn't really, I don't know, I, I never had a thing where it's just like, oh, you're bad for doing it. But I was thinking, you know what, I'd like to do it with the person that means the most, right? So I'm gonna wait until I get married. And I, I thought like that for a little while, right? But then you're just like, hmm, no, <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? And so you change, but yeah, you like, yeah, there's times when you you realize there was a point of time where you had this certain thought process, right? And when you look back at it, you're just like, what was I thinking? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, obviously some of that is is, you know, can be church, but I, I think a lot of it too can be, you know, your parents, your and who's who's sort of raising you as well. And there's definitely lines in the movie that I wanted the kids to sound like they definitely were parroting whatever was yes. being said around the house, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that's also sort of an interesting part of forming your identity is that, you know, you're trying not to be your parents, but then you also are taking them as a model of how to be an adult. And so mm. you're, you know, you're saying the same things that they say, and you don't even know if you believe it or not, but you're just like, well, this is what you're supposed to do. And um, I think that, that that, you know, that time period is so interesting when you're forming your identity and you're expected to sort of declare who you are and what you like and what you don't like. And yet you're, you know, you're really, you're really kind of not even consciously parroting your church and your parents and, the, the heavy influence in your school, you know, the heavy influences that are around you. So. Yeah, you, you essentially, you're not even in the kiln yet, right? You're still on the friggin' wheel getting molded, right? You know, when you think about it, right? You, you just like, th there's no glaze going on, nothing, right? <laughs> it, it's a, you know, we're at that process and someone's just pressing the button on the wheel and it's going around and be like, is it gonna be this shape? Hmm, not quite sure, let's see. But there's so much put on it, right? Especially now, right? So if you send out a tweet where you're dumb 16, that, that's gonna come bite you in the arse. But it's like, you can't drink at that age. It's weird, right? You can't drink, but you can drive, mm. right? You can have sex, but you can't vote. Like there's all these different weird things that you can and can't do, but everything you say, that was definitely everything that you feel and you, you believe in. And it's just like, no, 
like nothing is set here. It's, a, it's all a melding pot of stupidness until it finally coalesces into the finished product, which even then isn't the finished product. Right. Yeah, Even no. once the bones have stopped growing and the you know the brain has stopped you know developing in a certain ways, you're still not finished. <laughs> you're just absolutely solid. That's yes. it. You're you're a solid entity now, but that hard drive is always getting you know updated. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's brilliantly said. And I, I, I love the, I love your point about the, you know, again, the contradictions of expecting to be an adult and not expecting to be an adult. And, and given, you know, as you point out, like given certain privileges and freedoms, and then certain ones are not allowed yet. And it's just such a liminal middle ground to, to sort of be in. It's, it's a, uh, it's ripe for drama. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it definitely is. <laughs> is this, am, am I correct? This is your first feature film, right? Correct, yeah. Your first goddamn feature film. It's sickening. It really oh. is sickening. <laughs> it's like, Thank you. Uh, I, I was talking to um, uh, Jessica Benahim, who um, directed... Uh, love is a hand grenade right the one thing i i did notice which is just i think it's super nice right that you, you you go on social media and everyone everyone that's at the fair all you directors and writers and whatnot you're all kind of like bigging up each other's stuff and i'm just like that's really nice right it, there's sometimes you see these things and it, it does feel like this is me I'm here, this is my wall, my silo, I'm here, you, grr, right? But no, now it's just like, hey, I hope you well, you know, big up with your stuff. And I like that. But yeah, I mean, I was speaking to her and I was just saying that what I thought was interesting about this Flair Festival, because I haven't really, this is the first Flair that I've covered properly. Um, because I've, I've been doing the London Film Festival for the last, I think three, four years. And you usually get a few people maybe making their debut or it's a second. But with this, there are so many feature films where it's the first one and they're all so good. And you're just like, how the hell are you doing this on your first time? That, this is crazy, right? So how did you manage to like, put it out at this level, right? Because I'm, I'm obviously the more that you make, right? The more films that you make and the more that you write, you're gonna be evolving and developing and getting even better, right? But to come out the gate so nuanced, right? Which, which definitely takes a, it, it takes an understanding Right, because you, you have to then take in the feedback from others, right, but still have your, you know, artistic integrity to be like, no, 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 this is the vision, right, this is what I want this to be. And understand, okay, we're going to go with this angle for this shot, and we're going to start here, and we're going to end there. Like, how did you gain that knowledge? Is it just through films and stuff that you've digested? 
being in rooms with other directors and writers? Like what? Like basically, how can I get this? How can I get this knowledge? <laughs> how can I be you, Jonathan? <laughs> oh shucks. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I mean, part of it is I've I've made many shorts. So th so I that you know shorts are a great a great. Um, well, they're good for the summer, right? Because your legs yes. get hot and you, yes, you, know, exactly. you don't want to be like, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's what we're talking about, right? <laughs> Keep you cool, yes. <laughs> and, and you get a good tan too. Um, so yeah, no, the, the, the uh, yeah, I've, I made a lot, of, a lot of short films, which, you know, obviously are, are great ways to sort of learn and build up to a feature. Um, this is also not the first feature I've written, so this might be, I don't even know, that eighth or ninth or something, and all those other projects are not made. Uh, so I, I did, I did, you know, this is not my first screenplay, and so that also I think is helpful, is just in terms of that, that writing muscle was very right. alive. And then the third thing I think that's helpful is that I also teach film. Uh, that's, I, I'm an, an adjunct adjunct professor at a couple of universities here in California. And so I think that there's something, there's something really helpful, at least for me, in terms of analyzing films for my students to, to sort of unpack and understand what's happening in a movie it's it's kind of like I myself am also always learning because I have to yeah. learn in order to teach. And that I feel also feel it it just keeps things fresh in terms of in terms of you know your kind of filmmaking skills and and um so yeah I feel like I feel like all of those things uh were you know experiences that that sort of helped helped me make my first feature, but it's very, very, very flattering of you to, <laughs> to say that it was, a, it was a success as a first feature. I appreciate that. Uh, no, I mean, like, I think you just look at the, the chatter online. I haven't seen anyone be like, drama, drama-rama, more like Bora-rama. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, no one would say anything bad about it. I mean, and I look. I was like, guys, <laughs> bit of a turkey, right? And I'm like, no, it was great. I'm like, god damn it. <laughs> no one took the turkey bait. No. <laughs> damn those kids. <laughs> but was there not the pressure though, right? Because if you're teaching it, right? You're teaching it, and you must have been in those classes where people would be like, ugh. That film, no, that film's dreadful. Ah, oh, I can't believe, what were they thinking? The dialogue wasn't even realistic and the, the camera angle, yeah, it was all wrong. And you're thinking, oh my God, are they gonna do this to me? What are they gonna think of my film? Do I even tell them? Do I use a pseudonym? Like, is Jonathan Wazinski your real name? Do you teach under a different name? Is that what's going on? Oh God, maybe I should now. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I mean, I do feel like, you know, it's funny if a student will ever watch this and they'll be like, oh, now I know what's going on in his mind. Um, 
I, I do keep, I try to keep those, those worlds separate as much as possible. Um, and I guess, you know, I think part of it is because like, I feel like they're two different things, you know, being, being a filmmaker and being a teacher are like separate worlds. And so I try to put on a different hat when I'm being a, a, a teacher. Um, but, you know, I think, I think to the, to the end of like, you know, will they <laughs> like this movie, will they tear it apart? Whatever. Yes. That terrifies me. Um, <laughs> which is why I probably don't tell them, uh, but, <laughs> but, um, I also feel like something I always have to remind myself is that I myself do not, do not like every single film that has ever been made. And that's true of everybody, right? Mm. Film is subjective in terms of whether or not it's speaking to you or whether or not it's not speaking to you. Um, and that's, that can be like, it can be hard as a filmmaker when you, you know, you put your heart and soul and time and blood, sweat and tears into something and then you put it out there and, you know, wonder whether or not people are going to rip it to shreds. Um, but, you know, even, even the quote unquote greatest films of all time have people who were like, Mm, I don't know, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, here's Lawrence of Arabia or, you know, Singing in the Rain or Sunset Boulevard or whatever, Citizen Kane, people are like, mm, it wasn't for me, <laughs> not, not so into it. Uh, so, you know, I just have to remind myself that film is subjective and that the people who, you know, I, the people who will come to Dramarama will be the will be the people who the film is for, if that makes sense. That, you know, films, films hopefully find a have a way to find the audiences who they're made for. Uh, so I just have to have faith in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we like, so it played at the BFI Flair, right? Which is a LGBT, LG. Ugh. I know it keeps changing and getting I, longer. It, yeah, it's so, I'm just like, oh, what are the damn issues, man? But yes, it, it is, it, you know, it's one of those film festivals, right? Yeah. And I, I always find there's this weird classification over films, right? So I'm curious to know what you think about all of that, because for me, I just think, like, is it a good story? So when people go, oh, this is a, you know, like do the right thing. People will go, best black films, you know, do the right, and we're like, why don't we just say best films, right? Why are we putting that in a category going, oh, that's a best black film rather than it's just a best film. And so you, you have films like yourself, you know, like, um, oh gosh, which like, um, my first summer, the greenhouse, like all of these, sweetheart, they're great films, and I don't necessarily feel that they they, they need to be, you know, under this umbrella. Because I mean, you worry that is this going to hurt the film? Are people going to pigeonhole it under this rather than just look at it as a great film? You know, because you should be able to put this up with like the, the Superbads and the Junos and the, all the films that are dealing with that kind of age group, that kind of process of leaving school 
and getting into a new era of life, right? Yeah, no, it's such, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting topic you bring up because it's something that, you know, I know I my my fellow queer filmmakers have talked about this forever. We we used to we used to jokingly call it the gay ghetto, <laughs> which was like, oh, here, you know, here are the, these films over here, and you're in these festivals, and you have these audiences and these distributors. And um, you know, I think that there's something of value to to give a voice to a marginalized community, but then to your point, it also can be limiting because it can also tell, you know, other people that, you know, this is, this is niche, this is not really for you, this is only for this group. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think that that's true for, you know, filmmakers of color and female filmmakers as well, where, you know, they, there, there are all of these different labs and programs and organizations and festivals that might cater to, you know, like just female filmmakers or just, you know, Asian filmmakers or whatever it may be. Uh, and I think that it's, it's good to have those incubators to lift those voices up. Yes. I, I think at the same time, to your point, the, the labels that then get put on those projects can also weigh them down. Um, yeah, because as you said, look, those are all, I'm all behind those things. I'm all behind trying to give someone a hand up, right? Give people a voice to do something. But how do we then get those voices into just the general pool of voices? Absolutely. Right? Because if, like the one thing I find is you go to certain events, right? So we've got a place over here called the South Bank Center, which is great. They show so many different diverse kind of performances and arts, right? But you sometimes go and beforehand, like someone will come up and they'll talk about what, what you're seeing that, that night or whatever, whatever. And you'd be like, oh yeah, so we're gonna be trying to, you know, do this. And it'd be like, what are we, what are we doing, right? Because the people in here already agree with you. Like you don't have to make that speech because no one in this room is gonna go, I disagree, put them back in the kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like no one's, no one's gonna say anything. So it's just like, you know what I mean? It, it, with certain festivals, if it's a, you know, a black festival or female festival, or, you know, a, a, a gay festival, you're, only going to get the people that resonate with that content you know like it, it's yeah i i have i don't get me wrong i don't necessarily know all the answers but it's always something that i've just thought about like how do you change that how do yeah. you then you know because you want to get yes you want to give these things a platform but you want to get the people that might go, oh, I don't want to watch a film where a guy and a guy are holding hands. You know, where if they watch a film, they'd be like, that's a great film. Right, yes, dumb dumb, it was a great film, right? The, whole, the holding hands is nothing. It's not even a byproduct of the film. It's just these two people, right? But when someone actually watches it, they're like, I really enjoyed that. 
But how do you get them to just sit down and goddamn watch it? You know yeah, I know it's it's such a good point. Yeah, and I I you know I feel like that that is a gatekeeper's question, right? That is a mm. question for the gatekeepers at at uh, you know non niche distributors and non niche you know production executives and 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 whatnot that are you know that are not like uh that that are you know sort of thinking in those in those 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 the, a world where they're not putting labels on things uh if 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 we can sort of break into that sector and not have a label <laughs> put on the product i think that's you know that's sort of how that that change happens i mean you know we in here in the united states there's uh, uh february is black history month uh which I, I think chris rock jokes is you know it's like oh yeah thanks for giving us the shortest day of the, the shortest month of the yeah. year uh but you know i think i think the the the, the question is why why isn't it why isn't black history just part of history yes <laughs> like well, yeah, like why is it black history, history because right yes. after it and it's right? exactly and it's like it's like does that mean only women should pay attention that month and then you know it it just it brings up i understand the intentions in terms of why it was done yeah but i i don't think it actually fixes what needs to happen, which is that all these other voices just need to be normalized as part of history or as part of film or as part of whatever. It's just, you know, I, I think Do the Right Thing is a great example. It's not a great piece of black cinema. It's a great piece of cinema, period. It's one of the greatest films ever made. Um, and and it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's just hard for the gatekeepers to see it as, something that doesn't have that niche label on it and to and to convince them that it doesn't it's not niche it doesn't have to be niche yeah because you get those you know there's I, you speak to people and it's like it's hard to get funding for to make this and hard to do this and it will be right because and there's people it's easy to go I mean, yes, we realize, Jonathan, people enjoyed your film, but how many people attended Flair, right? I mean, you're like, right, Flair had 20,000 people, but if you're, if you're at a big festival, if you're at South by Southwest, you know, that had 100 million people. So, you know, how can I distribute, how can I put my funding behind your film when obviously it's not getting the same amount of, and you're like, well, that's fair, but did you let me play at South by Southwest? Yes. Right. No, so unless exactly. you let me into that room, how do you actually know how many people are going to watch my thing? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's the thing. And because Black Panther was one of the biggest grossing films. And for all those years, I don't know if we can have a black lead. I don't know if that sells. I don't know if that sells. When Blade, was the film that pretty much launched this whole superhero thing, right? That was the one, and yes, I, I understand we had Batman and a few things before it, but I feel it was Blade was the one that kind of mixed things up, right? Used bullet time before the Matrix used bullet time, 
right? Made it this dark, weird, crazy film. And then we have this huge now superhero genre, right? But for all those years, people, black films don't sell. Like yeah. female-led films don't sell. Yeah. And we have seen that is a lie, right? Yeah. And, and it comes down to the fact that if we have great stories, people will go to check them out, right? So it's, when are we changing this? Because we can create all of these different initiatives and we can go, oh, we're gonna put funding into this and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do this. But unless you change the distribution model that's actually in place, these initiatives don't mean anything. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that you, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, yeah, the gatekeepers have to change. They can't be the same. <laughs> they can't be the same gatekeepers as we've had. Yeah, I realized I just threw the tone down. You're talking about your happy ass film, no, and no. I'm just like, boom, no, no. boom, boom. You're, you're like, how do we change the world? I feel like that's a good thing. I know it's a heavy question, but I feel like it's a good thing. I love it. <laughs> so, after a successful, because I feel it was a successful film festival. It right. was, yeah. What what happens now? I mean, I already I saw that you you won. Oh gosh, was it best drama at the Oxford Film Festival? Yes, yeah. Which I yeah. Uh, originally I have to say, right? I feel I need to point this out because I feel Oxford England, and I was like, oh, I didn't know Oxford, and then I'm like, Oxford America. No, hey, caveat, people. <laughs> Change the name of your fed. Be like the US Oxford Film Fed. Do that. <laughs> Do, like something. What are we doing here? Right? <laughs> I know there is there's there are so many cities in the States as well that are have the exact same name as a European, as a European. I mean, you know, they're one of the one of the great Vim Vendors films, Paris, Texas. It's like, yep, there's a city in Te Texas called Paris. And I guarantee you it's nothing like Paris, France. <laughs> um, yeah, so so uh, up next, like, you know, I, there we have more festival screenings here in the US, uh, a couple of invitations internationally that I can't, uh, I can't disclose yet. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, I've definitely had distributors in the UK reach out about uh, UK distribution. So um, I feel pretty confident that, you know, anyone who missed the, the film at Flair will eventually be able to see Dramarama in the UK, which is exciting. Ah, superb. But yeah, I feel that's always the, the weird one. Right, you go to a festival, you watch all these great films, and you tell you tell people, be like, "Oh my god, I saw this great film." They're like, "Oh, where can I watch it?" I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not quite. I don't think they got distribution here yet. Oh, um, I'll get back to you when I know. But yeah, it's always weird, right? There's that weird period of time, and then sometimes two years later, you'd be like, "Oh." 
it's on Netflix now. And you're like, oh, I saw that thingy. You're like, oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's funny because I mean, in many ways, that's one of the big values of film festivals, right? Is that so many of the films that are shown don't have distribution yet. And so if you really love film, you, you know, you get to see it first and you get to champion it and you get to, you know, you get to sort of find the gems that you think are worthwhile before distributors have have gotten on board, um, which I think is a, a really great value of film festivals. Yeah, oh my God, I've seen so many, like I remember, um, gosh, I wanna say it's two years ago at London Film Festival, there's a film called Princess Sid which was oh, yeah. oh, phenomenal. It was phenomenal. I was so glad. And the crazy thing was, because I, I was ill. I was ill during the festival and I had a ticket and I was just like, all just like, and I, I, I went and I got my times missed and I missed it. I missed it and I was so gutted, but it was showing the next day and I got a ticket and I went and saw it the next day and blown away. It was incredible. But, it's such a great movie. Yeah, you get to see those little gems. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a film about Blaze Foley called Blaze, which, whew, so good, but just, man, really takes you through the racker, mm -hmm. right? And, and, but you get to see all of these things at festivals. But, you know, you hear about um, at Cannes, right, that they have this whole thing and, you know, it's full of like, you know, Sony and MGM and Netflix and Amazon and you go and you take your film and you'd be like, hey, do you want to buy my film? And like, so it, what is that process, right? So I'm assuming there's similar things at other festivals. Do you approach the distributor or do they come find you? Like what happens? Yeah, so I mean, there's, there's, there's either, either you, either you reach out to the distributor, the distributor reaches out to you, or most commonly, a lot of films have sales agents. And those sales agents are the ones that are going to Cannes, they're going to EFM at the Berlinale, they're going to Toronto for the Toronto Film Festival. And and they're they're making they're they're making deals basically on your behalf, and then they take a percentage of those deals. So um, you know when you're when you're a low budget filmmaker, it's it's usually it's usually you usually get more out of it if you don't have a sales agent. <laughs> um, but if you're not familiar with a market a sales agent is really great because mm. they will have relationships that you don't have. Uh, so it really kind of depends on what your network is uh, and whether or not you, you know, there are regions and territories um, where a sales agent might actually be able to, to do much more than you could do by yourself. Uh -huh. And do you think there will be a point where people just skip that, right? And just have it on your website and people will just pay money to watch it there rather I mean, than Netflix, Amazon, and you, it, that money's just you without having yeah. to get chopped up between all these other peoples. A lot of, a lot of uh, indie filmmakers in the U S are doing that. They're, uh, 
you know, they're kind of fed up by the options that are out there and how, how little they make off of, off of those, those different options. Um, and yeah, they're, you know, they're just putting it up themselves on Vimeo, you know, or YouTube behind a paywall or whatnot. I think, I think the, the challenge with that route is that you then have to make sure that people know that your film is, <laughs> is yeah. out there. And so, so, you know, you're working on a lot of marketing to point people to that product, right? Um, whereas, you know, it, on some of these other platforms, like people, people will come across it because they know that platform, you know, they know, they know iTunes, they know Amazon or what, whatever it may be. Um, but I think, you know, distribution was definitely, at least here in the US was definitely quite broken before the pandemic. And I think the pandemic has really highlighted how broken it, <laughs> it was. And there's a lot of conversations people are having about whether or not they wanna go back to that same system that didn't seem to really work for, work in favor for the filmmakers. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting time, particularly for independent cinema. And you know, the the good side, as you're pointing out, is that you can self-distribute, -distrib which you didn't used to be able to do. You know, you you couldn't just act, have someone from the other side of the world watch your movie on your own your own website, and now you can. Yeah, it does seem like it it could be entering that that period that comic books hit, right? When image comics came up and gave like people a different alternative to the big organizations. It was like time for the indies to shine. And it's, it's like, oh, is this gonna happen with film now? Which could be very interesting. It could be, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ah. Okay, Jonathan. Oh, this has been great. I really oh, thank you so much, it. Kevin. Yeah. Um, yeah, talking with you about this. But oh, actually, there's one thing I was wondering, right? So you went to drama, you did the drama thing, right? So you're a drama kid growing up. Now film. Right? Why film and not the um and not the stage? Yeah, that's a good question. I you sell out. Is that I'm what I made a movie about drama. Uh. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I had, I mean, I love the theater. I continue to love the theater. I, I, there was a, there was a certain point when I was in uni where I was writing plays and I actually had a professor read one of my plays and was like, this is too big for the stage. <laughs> you're like, you're, you, you seem to be, you seem to be in a more cinematic space than a, a theatrical space. And that kind of opened, opened my mind up to, you know, looking into transitioning and I did. And, um, you know, I, I feel like the plus side is I'm able to bring a lot of the, things I love about theater, including working with actors to filmmaking. Um, but I, I have this funny feeling that at some point in my life, I'm gonna go back to, back to the stage. 
I don't know what it is, but there's, I feel like I'm going to burn out on film at some <laughs> point and, and I will return to the theater. So we'll, we will see, we will see, but I love them both equally. And I don't want, I don't want to look uh, like says a sellout. The parent to their two kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't want to be the same to me. <laughs> I know I'm not paying attention to you right now, but it doesn't mean I don't love you. <laughs> like, was there though, there's one thing I've noticed, right? Sometimes when you see an adaptation from like a play to the screen, that sometimes it just still feels like a play rather than a film, right? So how did you kind of, rejig the voice yeah i feel like i feel like some of that is 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 i think that this this stage allows for a certain theatricality of language and dialogue that film does not film film wants people to sound as much like natural talking as possible um and I think that the stage allows for a certain poetic nature to dialogue. Mm. Um, you know, like, I, I, I don't know if you saw Marie's Black Bottom, which, uh, uh, you know, it's amazing. And, you know, the August Wilson play is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, I, I feel like it's, when you watch it as a movie, it is a little heightened. Like there's something about, there's something about those lines in film that to me at least feels a little more heightened whereas on the stage you don't really think about that because i think you have you have a a different suspension of disbelief when you're watching a play than from when you're watching a film um so so yeah i would say that you know i i in that in that transition i i try to pay attention to how people speak as much as possible when I'm writing dialogue for a film, um, in terms of in terms of making it as less theatrical than the stage does. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think that makes. But sometimes, you know, th there are that there is that need in a film to be theatrical. Theatrical? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you need those moments, you know? Yes. Like, ah, I think, you know, when like Maximus is like, are you not entertained? Right. If you're like, um, guys, are you not entertained? Right. Um, <laughs> are we not here to have a good time? Like, it would have been a completely <laughs> different scene. <laughs> So yeah, I know it's, it's always an interesting. Um, it's always interesting when you see that. But yeah, Marie's back bottom was just there was an energy to that film. Yeah. Oh my gosh, there was such an energy and a flow mm -hmm. to the to the lyrics and everything like that. It was just like ooh, right? And yeah. It's 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 honest. I mean, to me, it's almost like listening to poetry. Like it's it's. It, it's on a different level in terms of how that how the dialogue works. Yeah, there was like yeah, this kind of funk to it, mm -hmm. and I think 
there, another film that felt like that for me was to tangle right mm. there was this lyricism to to the words and it was just this the way it all flowed and connected you're just like oh that's different right because you then by changing you know the, the way people talk the different the patterns and everything like that you you are able to put a spin on a genre that you know everyone knows this genre but just this little tweak makes it new again makes it fresh yeah. and it becomes interesting so it is always it's always fun when you can take different I think um, understandings of voice and play with them. So I Absolutely. guess that's what a theatre background can help you with. Hmm. Hmm. So is there a, another project that you're going to be thinking about once all of this um, dies down? Yeah, I have, I have a bigger project that I had written prior to Dramarama. Uh, it's a it's a historical drama based off of the first AIDS ward in the world, which was at San Francisco General Hospital in the early 1980s, and it, it was um, a ward that the gay and lesbian nurses ran themselves, kind of carte blanche, because the hospital didn't want anything to do with all of these patients, mm. um, and so it's a uh, it's a little bit like, the tone is a little bit like M.A.S.H. because there's actually a lot of humor and joy that, that this, these, these uh, patients and nurses had because they were from the same community, basically. Yeah. Um, but, you know, also obviously there's the heaviness of, of you know, what was happening in the situation and, and, and the tragedy of it. Um, and that kind of combination, I think, is really interesting to me. And so that's, I have a, a script based off of, off of that that is, I'm, uh, I'm working on next. Ah, okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, well, that'll be an interesting thing to see. Because um, I mean, that's a different, I guess, I, I was just trying to think, have we, I don't think we've seen anything kind of looking at that kind of aspect of things, right? We've had Stonewall and Philadelphia. You know, I mean, films that deal with like that side of things, but nothing from that. And I didn't even know, like the first, yeah, Wald was in San Francisco. Yeah, and there's something, there's something about, I think, you know, something that is maybe more timely now than it was when I, when I started it, is that there's, there seems to be more awareness of healthcare workers. Mm. Obviously, because of the pandemic and what the lives of healthcare workers are like, um, and I think that it it you know it just might be interestingly enough more even more timely to sort of shed a light on this the past in terms of this virus that nobody understood and yes. everyone was freaked out about and and you know the front line were. You know the healthcare workers, and so there's there's a there's perhaps something even more relevant um, now than when I when I first started that project. Oh yeah, no, definitely, yeah. Oh man, oh uh, yeah. I, uh, hey, good luck with that. Thank you. Uh, I'm definitely yeah. I'm interested to see how how that one goes. So Thank um, you. 
once it's up and running, you have to come back and um, tell us about it. All right. <laughs> I would be delighted to. Awesome. No, I, again, I really appreciate your time. And I appreciate the fact that you, you know what I mean? Because like you, you do these things, right? You, you go to these festivals or you watch films and you reach out to people and be like, hey, uh, would you like a, maybe a conversation? And not everyone gets back to you. And straight away, you're just like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> And so I, I, I appreciate that, man. Thank oh, you. Sure. Yeah, no, my honor. Thank you so much. Cool. Well, um, yeah, where's the, where's the next festival people can see you at, potentially? Uh, the next festival is um, well, actually here here in the here in the US, uh, it will be online with the Oxford Film Festival. <laughs> Uh, that is geo-blocked to Mississippi, Louisiana, and Tennessee. So, again, another weird, weird thing of, of online festivals is all the geo-blocking and yeah. all of that stuff. Um, so that's that, that will be the next the next one. Okay, so people, if you're in that area, or you know, maybe you just moved there for. For a couple of weeks, so you can watch some films. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever works. You know what I mean? People have done Stranger Things. <laughs> but yeah, definitely go check out Drama Rama because it's not just yeah. I mean, every element was great. You know, it's Thank not you. just the writing, the direction, but the cast. Cast killed it. Cast killed yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like the the. The, the costumes, like every every department stepped up to the place and hit home run. So, hey, well done to you and your team, man, because- oh, thank yeah, you, I'm very a, proud a, of them. It's a great feel. Thank you. Cool, man. Well, yes, thank you for your time. And um, yeah, looking forward to the next time we get to, uh, yeah, shoot the shit and talk film and whatnot. Awesome, <laughs> take care. Cool. All right, Jonathan. Thank you.